Hello and welcome back to the West Bank Bible Church podcast. Today, after an introduction, we'll be in slavery in the New Testament. We did the Old Testament last week. Uh, but before we begin, as is our custom, let's remember 1 John 1 9 as may or may not be necessary. All right, Pastor Merritt, take it away. Thank you, David. An introductory point or two, and then uh, David's going to lead us into our doctrine of slavery in the New Testament. All right, the term service and servant in the Bible are used in the sense of both servitude and ministry. We need to know and apply principles from the doctrine of slavery, since slavery is often mentioned in the Bible. For example, Titus 2, verses 9 and 10, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. This doctrine will deal only with servitude. All right, slavery is certainly a social evil and contrary to the first of the four divine institutions And the four divine institutions are volition, marriage, family, and nationalism. And so certainly volition uh, is under siege when there is slavery. And it's uh, a problem uh, because uh, choice and volition are synonymous terms. And uh, in slavery, we take away the first divine institution, choice or slavery. Slavery was pervasive in the ancient world. There are evidences of slavery even in our 21st century. Cases have recently been documented where young men and women have been captured in the sub-Saharan and sold in various Arab countries. Mauritania and Sudan in particular have become infamous for their slave trade. The United States permitted slave trading until January of 1863 when Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation. This was almost two years after the beginning of the Civil War in fulfillment of a threat to release all slaves by proclamation should the southern states not return to the Union. The threat was issued by President Lincoln on September, or in September 1862, and fulfilled on January the 1st, 1863. So as we obviously can see, the United States was in error when they uh, violated those four wonderful divine institutions, more particularly volition. 
Now let's take a look at slavery in antiquity. Point one, slavery, bondage, or enforced service is attested from the earliest times throughout the ancient Near East and Far East. In antiquity, slave labor was utilized mainly by wealthy families and in royal building projects such as the construction of the pyramids in Egypt and Pharaoh's store cities. In Palestine and what was known as Syria, the slave was usually a domestic servant rather than an agricultural or industrial worker. In the Alak tablets discovered in Syria, the highest number of slaves belonging to one master was said to be three. The big landowners, like those of Babylonia and Assyria, seem to have preferred free tenants to slave later, labor. Tenant farming on the halves or thirds seemed to work better. We have, of course, uh, covered Hebrew etymology in great detail. And so, David, if you would, uh, take us through the slavery in the New Testament. Okay. Hopefully you got the outline, which is on the, the website of slavery in the New Testament. Point one, in Syria, the Holy Land, slave constituted a large part of the population. Some historians have suggested a third of the population in the Roman Empire was enslaved at the time of Christ. Jesus ministered to Roman slaves and often mentioned slaves in his teachings and parables. Yet, he never criticized the institution of slavery. Luke 7.2 And a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. Verse 10 And that and they that were sent returning to the house found the servant whole that had been sick. Matthew 10.24 The disciple is not above his master nor the servant above his Lord. Many slaves living at the time of Christ were well-educated men who had been captured by the Roman armies. They were capable of managing large estates and business affairs and were so used by their masters. Unlike classical Greece or Rome, the economy of Israel never became dependent on what we might call menial slave labor. The term servant or bond slave, doulos, is often used by Paul to describe his total dedication to his job as an apostle. Romans chapter 1 verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Paul warns against the slavery of legalism and exhorts all believers to eschew the slavery of the law. Galatians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24 and 30 to 31 read, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way. 
but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the woman represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Galatians 5.1 It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Paul likens the one held in the grip of sin to a slave. Romans 6.6 6, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. At Christ's return, all of creation will be delivered from the slavery of corruption. Romans chapter 8, verse 20 through 22. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as it in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. David, I'd like to just quickly mention the fact that you can go to Psalm 148, the Hallelujah Psalm, and see a great deal of, of that which will go on when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. The Hallelujah Psalm. And David covers that really well. David Hammond covers that really well in his Old Testament overview. Excuse me, Dave. Proceed. 5.4. Unregenerate men today are enslaved all their lives by the fear of death. Hebrews 2.15. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. As the gospel, with its social implications, spread throughout the Roman Empire, it became increasingly necessary to define the attitude of the church towards slavery. Many slaves were turning to Christ in the households of Christian masters. Some slaves desired emancipation, but Paul urged the Christian slave to remain a slave with the right to accept manumission if offered. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 20 through 22. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it, but if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's freeman. Likewise also, he that is called, being free, is Christ's servant. Paul makes it quite clear that whether slave or freeman, as Christians, 
we are all one in Christ, baptized into one body. Christ is all and in all. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 3.11 Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Thus, Paul ordered slaves to be obedient for the Lord's sake. Obedience was to be a testimony to the rest of the world. We're at the top of page 3, if you're following along, 5.9.1. At the same time, he instructed the masters to treat believing slaves fairly and justly, thus furnishing another testimony to the word. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, and singleness of your heart, and unto, as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters, do the same thing unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 2. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. 5.1. In the case of Philemon and Onesimus, Paul makes clear his attitude towards slavery. Plea for the slave Onesimus Philemon's runaway slave. A very interesting study. This is one of those Philemon is one of the four prison epistles. We have, of course, Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Philemon. This is Paul's first imprisonment uh, when he was uh, sent to sit down, be quiet, and develop the four prison epistles. And that he did from prison. And we have an entire book which follows the book of Hebrews in your, well, in most Bibles, let's say. Uh, and it's a very short book, and we will get to it uh, a little later. But let me go over the plea for the slave Onesimus 
Philemon's runaway slave. So Paul was, <clears throat> if you will, writing for a and, and basically a plea for this for the uh, decision on the part of Onesimus. Uh, uh, and we'll get more to that later on. But Onesimus was a runaway slave. He was actually working in Coloss, or Colossae, as it's also pronounced. Uh, and he just got tired of being a slave. And he decided that he would run away. And indeed he did. And in fact, it's generally thought he stole some money. And then, uh, clearly, under the will of God, he made his way all the way from Colossus. And you can look at a map, if you will. You can see what a distant trip he made as he went to Rome. That's where Paul was in prison. Uh, he was in prison in Rome where he wrote the four prison epistles. And I'm going to read beginning in verse 10 where he records the letter and by the way he sent an, uh, the slave back uh, Onesimus and he sent him with a letter and from all indication the letter was sealed and the slave didn't know exactly what he was saying but uh, we'll get more to that later on. I'm going to read a summary of the book itself. It's a very, very short book. But let me read uh, Philemon 1.10, and we're going to read through verse 22. It says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. He's the, the runaway slave. He had made his way to Rome. He had met Paul. He had become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he had assisted uh, in the work of Paul. In addition to assisting in the work, uh, he uh, found uh, very interesting the things that Paul was doing. And, and then in the conversation, as they discussed the events uh, involved in Paul's imprisonment, Paul was surprised to find that he was from Coloss. And I can just hear Paul saying, you were in Coloss and you worked there in the home where the church met? Uh, and of course, I'm sure he said, yes, I did, and I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. And so I just decided I would leave. Well, I don't know how long Paul thought about that. It'd be interesting to know when that day could happen. <laughs> this might be a problem. <laughs> yeah. But formally, he was useless to you. This is Paul talking now. But now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my heart back to you. So obviously he thought a lot of the slave. And, uh, and of course his name was Onesimus. And uh, he wanted him to be well received. But he does not want to force 
by Laymon to take him back. I find this to be so very interesting. Omission is so important to Paul. So he sends him back, and he sends him back with a, uh, one of Paul's disciples. And he says, I am sending him who is my heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that my so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, in other words, as a believer. No longer a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. In other words, I have witnessed to you and you have helped me by having the church in your home, but... Uh, or if you were having any second thoughts, remember this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. All right. <clears throat> he did not ask his friend Philemon to free the runaway slave, but commended Onesimus to him as a beloved brother. Paul did imply, however, that he hoped Philemon would free Onesimus. Do not be confused by our 21st century culture. The slaves of the Roman Empire for at least the first three centuries were not African Americans, but conquered provincials. And now I'm going to, uh, if you will, I'm going to tell you about the geographical location and a preacher by the name of Epaphras. There were three churches, Colossus, and then you go north 16 miles, you get to Laodicea and Hierapolis. And Epaphras would travel by foot all the way up to uh, Hierapolis. And it was in Hierapolis that... Uh, he would end his preaching ministry. And now I'm going to go to the uh, I'm going to go to the Amplified Bible. It's a little clearer. 
And David, if you want to read for us, please. Okay. The uh, yellow line there, it, it tells us a little more about the book itself and the last of the five, uh, four prison epistles. The last of the four prison epistles. Paul, a prisoner for the sake of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and our brother Timothy, to Philemon, or dearly, dearly loved share with us in our work, and to Aphia, his wife or sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier in the Christian warfare, and to the church assembly that meets in your house. I give thanks to my God for you always, because I continue to hear of your love and of your loyal faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus Christ, and which you show toward all the saints, God's consecrated people. I have derived great joy and comfort and encouragement from your love because of hearts of the saints who are your fellow Christians have been cheered and refreshed through you, my brother. Therefore, though I have abundant boldness in Christ to charge to do what is fitting and required and your duty to do, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you just for what I am. I, Paul, an ambassador of Jesus Christ, and an old man, and now a prisoner for his sake also. I appeal to you for my own spiritual child, Onesimus, meaning profitable, whom I have begotten in the faith, while a captive in these chains. Once he was unprofitable to you, but now he is indeed profitable to you as well as to me. I am sending him back to you in his own person, and it's like sending my very heart. I have chosen to keep him with me in order that he might minister to my needs in your stead during my imprisonment for the gospel's sake. But it has been my wish to do nothing about it without first consulting you and getting your consent. Perhaps it was for this reason that he was separated from you for a while, that you might have him back as yours forever. Not as a slave any longer, but as something more than a slave, as a brother Christian, especially dear to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh as a servant and in the Lord as a fellow believer. If then you consider me a partner and a comrade in fellowship, welcome and receive him as you would welcome and receive me. And if he has done you any wrong in any way or owes anything to you, charge that to my account. I, Paul, Write it with my own hand. I promise to repay it in full. Yes, brother, let me have some profit from you in the Lord. Cheer and refresh my heart in Christ. I write to you perfectly confident of your obedient compliance, knowing that you will do even more 
than I ask. So old Paul has got a predicament, but he handles it rather well. And he wants to make sure that everything is okay uh, if indeed uh, a slave is going to stay. And we just don't know, do we, David? Do not know. We don't know what happened, but uh, someday in heaven we'll find all that out. I kind of have a feeling I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Good old Paul. And, of course, Epaphras is the pastor that has to, uh, I don't want to say make decisions with reference to what's going on there when that letter arrives, but it would be interesting to know what his position is and uh, whether or not he stays out of it and just continues to teach in those three churches, Hierapolis, Laodicea, and Coloss. And, of course, we know Paul will ultimately leave uh, Rome and uh, end up imprisoned and have, uh, as tradition is correct, decapitated. So uh, it's a very interesting lesson. Uh, It's kind of like a mystery. Uh, We don't really know what is going to happen, but we know it's going to be certainly the best thing for all concerned, as is the case in all of our lives. Uh, Though at times we may not, necessarily agree with what's going on. All things working together for the good to them that love God, to them who are the called, according to his purpose. Therefore, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Thank you, David. Again, thank you for joining us today. We look forward to being with you next week. And Pastor Merrick, could you give us a closing prayer? Father, we are grateful for the privilege of being able to, well, teach the Word via the podcast. And David has done such a marvelous job with his his Old Testament overview. And uh, Father, he's, uh, if my count is correct, Father, he's got 42 lessons on and uh, just waiting for people who are positive to the word to learn of you now if you have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ that's that's up to you right now to do it right where you sit where you stand, whatever you might be doing, all you've got to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. As many as received him to them gave you power to become the sons of God. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Even to them who believe on his name. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, until next week.
So long.